You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 125. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. Today we're going to do the Ask Me Anything question podcast. I love it when you guys send in your questions. I have everything from some personal questions about myself to how often should you work out during one day? Like, should you split your workout up? How should you help your teenager with social media issues or or at least what I do, what I recommend? Uh, When should you work out? What's the best time of day? People had great questions that they wrote in. If ever you have a question for this segment that I try to do every few months, certainly email me, kim at earnthatbody.com with your questions. Again, it can be something about me that you wanna know or it can be just a, a situational health, fitness, nutrition question that you might have always wanted to know um, and you would like me to cover it. So we have that coming up, but also coming up, I wanted to talk to you about what's coming up with Earn That Body in terms of programs, because this does tend to be a busy time of year. A lot of people are joining my half marathon training program. I have a 12-week online half marathon training great for the first time half marathoners. So if you always wanted to do a half, but you've always been kind of afraid, you don't know where to begin, you don't know if you could do it, you can do it and I can help you get there. So if this is an ideal 12 week online training for, for new half marathoners who just want to get to the finish line, you just have to be able to run three miles in the first week. So I would want you to be building up to just be able to hit three miles. That's the longest run you have the very first week. So if you would like more information on that, let me know. I have the Earn That Body 10-week program. That's sort of my my main big program that has nutrition and fitness starting March 4th. I have a few spots left for that. And then we have our annual Earn That Summer Body 21-day program, all new. I have all new videos. This is not the same summer body that we did last year. All new, I call it the Summer Body Boot Camp, and it starts April 8th, all online. Anybody can participate. It's super fun. There's so many great videos that are gonna be so effective to help you drop those pounds, get bikini body ready. So all of these great things. You can you can check Summer Body out at shockthatbody.com. But if you just have any program questions, you can always email me directly, kim at earnthatbody.com. All right, everybody, now this. And now it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. Our Eagle's Eye on Health today came from a fantastic article published recently in Frontiers in Immunology. And it's talking about strenuous exercise and does or doesn't it lower your immunity? It was called Closing the Door on the Open Window Theory. Let's talk about that. So in this article published recently, they examined a decades-old myth called the open window hypothesis. In short, researchers once believed that in the hours after vigorous exercise, the immune system becomes compromised, opening the window, they said, to illness or infection. But after extensive review of evidence, uh, these two doctors, I believe they were, Uh, welcome to this conclusion. 
Not only is exercise not detrimental to immunity, but it may actually limit or delay aging of the immune system. In other words, it is a misconception to label any form of acute exercise as immunosuppressive, and instead exercise most likely improves immune competency across the lifespan. So there you go. If you were too afraid to do a strenuous workout in fear that your immune system would be compromised, fear no more. Get the workout in. Work out hard. Go for it. If anything, it's going to help your immune system. There you have it. Your eagle's eye on health. Now, ask me anything. Some great questions today. And again, they really range from so many different topics. And I I love getting your feedback. I love engaging with all of you. So I I say this all the time. I am a one woman show here at Earn That Body. I literally do it all from answering the emails to my marketing, to my accounting, to my videoing, my photos, my social media. I am the only person, right? So what does that mean? It means I love engaging with all of you. And the best way I can do that truly is social media. So when I post a picture on Facebook or Instagram, I'm gonna actually ask you, would you please comment on it? Say something so that I can engage with you because I actually love your feedback. So it's great when you like a post. I love when you, you know, it's great that I get a lot of likes, but I actually want more because I am a one woman show. I sort of like crave the engagement with you guys. So please start engaging with me by posting on my social media and actually writing something because it really opens up a nice space for so many people to to be inspired or maybe you're going to ask a question that helps someone else or you're going to answer something or support someone, whatever it might be. I do love the engagement and that leads right into the Ask Me Anything podcast episode that I love to do every few months where people get a chance to ask me all kinds of questions. So our very first one, and and I don't have everybody's name written down because some of these are, are sort of taken over time. People like a month ago said, hey, would you cover this? And I wrote it down, but I didn't get everybody's name. But this particular one was from uh, Jessica Welcome. She wanted to know, what do you think about splitting a workout into two 30-minute segments? And that's a great question, and a lot of my clients sometimes ask me that. Usually, I'm going to assume you're asking me because you're pressed for time. And I do encourage my clients to work out for that one hour five to six times a week. And some people just can't. They just do not have the hour. And so they want to know if they can split it up into two segments. It really depends on what your goal is. Now, if this is a time issue, like I said, you just can't fit an hour in in the morning and you want to do 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening, That's fine. I mean, you're still going to burn the same amount of calories if you do that, right? If you're an endurance athlete, however, uh, you need the longer workout and you need it all to be in one session because you're training at an endurance level. You need your muscles to be able to handle things for a certain amount of time, your cardiovascular system. So I would say for an endurance athlete, that's probably not going to be the best option for you. Some issues that come up when you do split the workouts could be that the morning workout, usually you're fine, but then you eat all day and that can be like heavy on the stomach to then do a workout. So if you are going to split it up, I'd probably recommend you do the cardio in the morning if you're splitting up sort of cardio and strength and do strength or something without a lot of jumping where it might affect your digestion. You've been eating all day and 
So it could be a little harder on your stomach. You might wanna do that kind of workout later in the day if you have to. The other issue about working out later in the day, um, again, some people are working out at night because that's just when they can fit it in. Some people get really sort of amped up. I don't know about you, but like I feel great after a workout and I feel sort of charged up. And you don't really wanna feel that way after, you know, right before bed. So working out at night sometimes means you're not gonna get as good a night's sleep. Another thing is that once you work out, you do need generally 20 grams of protein right after that workout. That means you're gonna be eating late and then are you going to bed right after that? Because just eating and having that food sit in your stomach will also affect your sleep and probably lead to not a great night's sleep. So yeah, I mean, I just, I personally cannot work out at night, but if you have to, these are just the things you have to ask yourself. Can you do it early enough that you can still fuel after and have time to digest before you would go to bed? I'd say the biggest issue is that you're gonna do that morning workout and then you're gonna come home and you're gonna be too tired or something will come up and the second workout never happens. More than not, that's the case. So in my opinion, if, if I had a say in it, I would say do it all at once as early as you can. But if you can't, it's better to split it up than not to, but you just have to take those other things into account like digestion and sleep. There you go. All right, Miss Amy Feltis wants to know, as a mom to a teen, because I do have a 16-year-old son, how are you navigating the waters of social media, smartphones, etc., with a teen? She's thinking ahead because her kiddos are not teens yet. <laughs> They're very cute, but they are not teenagers yet. Um, especially in relation to overall health of the child and teenager, getting enough sleep, activity, etc. So all I can do is tell you what I have done with my son. I think it's very important for everyone if you have little ones right now, set the rules for these social media, smartphone devices, computers and whatnot, set the rules early. Set them when they're young because if you set up a rule when they're really young, that's just all they know and that's definitely the way to go. So with my son, there was no laptops in your room, no phones in your room, phones did not get charged in your room, all phones were outside the room, laptops were outside the room when he was younger. So I'm saying like, I'm trying to think when he got a phone. He got a phone probably in, I don't know, like four years, three or four years ago. So he's a sophomore in high school now. Maybe he got his phone in sixth or seventh grade. I really can't remember. But when he did, the phone, it it did not live in the bedroom and either did any computer less. So no computer, no laptop, really until just like the last year. And now he's 16, Has are these things allowed in his room? So set that rule early. I think it's important that you always be able to look over their shoulders, see what they're working on. Um, I believe the phones should stay in the kitchen for everyone for as long as possible. You know, like put a big charging station in the kitchen and. Everybody puts their phones there at night. All phones can sleep together, right? That way phones aren't in your bedroom either. So again, set that rule and set that expectation early. Uh, often when they're younger, 
I really like to also encourage, like I used to encourage Charlie in the car to get off the phone because this is what happens now is the kids are always on the phones. They never sit in the car. They never look around. Like when I was a kid and we drove, you looked out the window. Nobody does that now. And so when he was really young, I would say no phone in the car. Let's talk. We'd have a conversation. Or when you go on the road trips, like remember when you used to play games and you looked out the window and the license plate game and all that stuff. We have really gotten away from that. So I encouraged it as much as possible. I'm not saying I was perfect, but when they're young, they don't know any better. So even though you're, they're not teenagers yet, now is the time to be really interactive with them and not have them depend on the phone as much as possible so that when they go to the teenage years, you know, it's not all they know, basically. And let's see, I also think it's really important when they do get to the age and they are sort of looking on social media and they wanna get that Instagram account because they're not really on Facebook, th that generation. Um, it needs to be a private account. So you wanna make sure their account is private. You need to be careful because of this direct messaging. You kinda don't know who's messaging your kid. So you think it's gonna be a text message and that you could just check your kid's text messages, but they don't text message. They do everything through direct messaging. And when they are young, like really up until now, like he's 16, yes, you need to check their phones all the time. I That's my opinion. I have seen things not just from my son, but other friends of teenagers. They they didn't think their teen would ever communicate with a stranger, but they were on direct messaging. And it's scary. It's a scary world we live in. So if you see their phone buzz and they're getting sort of that like a notification, look at it. Look and see who is the notification from. You are the parent. They are not 18. You still have the right and likely you're paying for the phone, right? So look at the notification. Don't be afraid to go into the phone. Let your child know you will go into the phone. You will check these things. And you just, you do have to sort of stay on top of it. So you have to be careful. What all I can say is again, limit it as much as you can. Keep it out of the bedrooms and you'll go with the flow. You'll know what feels right for you and your family. Next question from Gregory, Gregory Gowan, an awesome client of mine. He wants to know, do you think it makes a huge difference on the time of day you work out? So this goes a little bit with that first question, but just so you know, the fourth podcast I ever recorded was about what time of day to work out. So Gregory, go back in iTunes, go all the way to number four, because I did a whole podcast about what time of day to work out. But in my opinion, just so you know, like the um, the Cliff Notes version, kids don't know what Cliff Notes are anymore, by the way. I probably just aged myself. Half of you don't know what Cliff Notes are. The Cliff Notes version is that, in my opinion, a workout should be done as early as possible. Again, going with that first question, should you split the workout up? The earlier you get it done, the better. Couple reasons why. One, as I said, if you get it done in the morning, there's no excuses later. When you save it for later in the day, there is just too much of a chance that something will come up. A work thing will come up, a family thing will come up, or you get home and you don't feel good, or you might most likely get home and you are just too tired. There's too many excuses that you will find to not work out if you save it for after work at the end of the day. So the earlier, the better in my opinion. Uh, workouts at night, again, give some people a lot of energy and you don't wanna be revved up right before bed. You have to fuel after that workout so that can affect your sleep. 
getting it done early also, it sort of sets the tone for your day in terms of eating healthy. Like I know when I work out first thing in the morning, I want to eat healthy. And if I don't work out, those are the days I sort of like, mm, French fries sound good today, you know, but something about working out, like you feel good, you want to hydrate with water, you feel clean, you feel cleansed and you want to do better. So I just think it all goes together. So again, this is a personal opinion on this one. I'm going to say first thing in the morning is the best time of day. I'm not saying it like, oh, and you're going to burn more calories in the morning. No, it's, it's more just that it's going to get done more often if you do it first thing in the morning and probably get done, you might burn more calories because you might have more energy in the morning. Whereas you're so tired at the end of the day, you might not give it your all. Next question, uh, Stephanie asked, how do you deal with bad days and haters? Well, those are two very different things. <laughs> um, so for one, I don't know if you mean, how do I personally deal with haters or how am I re recommending you all deal with haters? I mean, really, we all should handle them the same way, which is just ignore haters. I mean, haters are going to hate, right? And as I tell people all the time, I mean, I don't really have a lot of haters, thankfully, but I definitely have had the posts on my Facebook page when I post a picture of me. I've had people say I look like a boy because I'm flat chested. I've had people say, ew, you're too muscular. Yuck, you're too skinny. Like... I've seen it. I don't care. I mean, I'm amazed that people take the time to write that, but I also think someone writes that who's so personally not happy that it makes them happy to write something about someone else, you know? And I know that the, and I am by no means a star whatsoever, but I, I when I see the stars like the Kardashians or whoever, and they say, you know, or you know, this one, Julia Roberts actually um, talked on the Oprah Winfrey podcast she said she had not been on Instagram before and then she recently got on and her her niece actually posted a picture of her and people didn't know that she was the aunt of this young girl and I forget her name but she's also an actress and Julia Roberts niece is an actress and a bunch of people posted on this picture and said, oh gosh, Julia's aging and ooh, Julia's not looking good and all these things. Well, Julia read them all and how hurtful. Like people think she's not human. Like she's human. Like, and now I noticed I started following her on Instagram. She doesn't even let you put comments on her pictures, which good for her because why even go through that? Um, so there's nothing you can do with the haters. They're not, these people, anybody who's giving you hate is not loving you. They are not your friends. We move on. There's always going to be those people. Now, when you say, like, how do you deal with a bad day? Well, hopefully you don't emotionally eat. <laughs> Listen to the podcast from last week about emotionally eating when you have a bad day. We all have bad days. How do I handle a bad day? Honestly, I just try to get through it. I always know that something good is around the corner. For every bad chapter, there is a good chapter. And... And that I just feel like is just life experience, you know, enough bad things. You go through enough bad times and you know that you'll get out of them. But never let a bad day or a hater get you down. Never let someone take the sparkle out of your eye. That's the most important thing. I definitely have had people say things to me in business before I own my own business and, and sort of were rude and disrespectful and and they really I felt like took the sparkle out of my eye and I remember the last time it happened I worked at Lifetime Gym in Austin and I the, the manager was such a a-hole and 
I just was like, for one, I'm like done working for people. But two, this person was so unhappy in their own life that it made them feel good to say mean things to people like me. Um, and, and yeah, and it was hurtful and I moved on, but if anything, what I took away from it was I'm never going to let someone take that sparkle out of my eye again, because that was her stuff. And usually when someone does that to you, it's their stuff, not yours. So just as my sister says to me, just tell them, no, thank you. Not interested. Don't need it. All right. Moving on. Next question is, I find that I stay on plan with my nutrition for three to six days and then I go off track for a day or two. It's so frustrating, what do I do? It's common and you know, again, we've, we've talked about weekends sabotaging your, your weight loss and your goals and I did a weekend sabotage podcast as well so you can check that out. But in general, if you feel like you do great for three to six days and then you do bad for a day or two, The first thing I'd want you to ask yourself is, are you eating balanced or are you being extreme? Because if you put yourself on some detox diet or some keto diet or, you know, something where it's like you don't have carbs, you don't have any sugar at all, um, you know, all of these extreme things are what lead to a day or two of binging. So you really want to moderate as much as possible. And when you say off track, I mean, are you going off the rails for two days? Or are you telling me, you know, you had cookies and a burger one day? Like you, you want to be able to know that, yeah, you can go out and enjoy a meal and it's not going to throw your weight off that much. It might throw your weight off the next day. Cause as I talk about all the time, like you go to Mexican food, you could be up two pounds on the scale the next day. Big deal. It's just sodium. It's just water retention. If you're right back on track and not eating Mexican food again the next day, that that pound that went on will be off again the very next day. So that should be fine. But if you do two days of every single meal is really bad, like you went out to breakfast and you ate terrible and then you had burgers and fries and a shake at lunch and then you went out for that steak dinner and you had two desserts at night. It's like, if you did that, for two days well I mean that's that I mean probably make you sick too but then you have to ask yourself like did you have to eat all your meals out or could you just had one meal awesome meal out and then got gotten back on track so if you're really sort of like I said going off the rails for two days with every single meal then you've got to dial it back Um, and you just need to ask yourself are you going off the rails because you feel so deprived on whatever diet plan or program that you're doing. In my program with Earn That Body, I really try to teach moderation. I really try to use education in the program. Like, okay, so we're gonna limit our sugar grams to this amount, but yes, you can have sugar. Um, We don't wanna eat a lot of processed sweets, but if you had to have one, how would that fit into the day and still be okay? And you can have fruit that has sugar as well teaching you how to make swaps and things, but not so extreme where I'm like, you can't have carbs. You can have no processed sweets. Like it's not realistic. And then that's when you go off track. So try to find some balance, make sure you're not doing anything extreme and make sure you're not feeling deprived so that you don't go off the rails for two days. Two days might be a bit too much. Number seven, next question. Why do I always crave or go to nut butters? I love that question. That's so interesting. 
They said nut butters, some cheese, and more nut butters seem to be an issue for me. Even with 40% protein, 40% fat, and 20% carbs breakdown. Well, for one, I don't know where you got that percentage breakdown for your nutrients, but I don't like it. (laughs) It's personally me that you don't go over 30% fat. And so your fat is high, your carbs are low. I would not consider this super balanced. It's a little on the low side for the carbs, a little too much fat as well, Um, even a little too much protein. You don't wanna have too much protein daily because that can actually affect your kidneys over time. So I don't know where you got those percents. I actually wouldn't recommend those percents. My guess is if you're eating that much fat, then maybe you're continually craving the nut butters because it's like you're on this fat diet. And it's almost like I tell my clients, if you eat chocolate every night, you will crave chocolate every night. That's why I try to get my clients off of eating a sweet treat, like a processed sweet treat like chocolate every night because it becomes a habit and your body just learns to have it and it wants it and it craves it. And once we break that habit, you don't crave it anymore. And then you can swap it with a fruit and still have the chocolate on the weekend, but it doesn't have to be a daily thing. And I'm just wondering if you're having so much nut butter to hit 40% fat that your body is actually craving it all the time. I think you might need to balance your nutrients in a slightly different way. Um, or maybe your body need. I, I really don't think you need more fat if you're hitting the 40% fat. Now, some people crave fat because they are not eating enough fat, literally. And your body will tell you, in my opinion, there's a lot of things that you crave because your body needs it. Funny story on that one. I woke up once when I was young in bed. I had to have been like 13, 14 in the middle of the night. Broke a fever, my parents ran in, I think I was crying and I was like drenched in sweat. And like, I just remember saying to my parents, cantaloupe, I need cantaloupe, like out of nowhere, right? So the fever broke and that's all I could think about was cantaloupe. And my sweet dad went to the market at probably two in the morning and got me a cantaloupe. Thank God they were in season. And for whatever reason, my body was saying there was something in that cantaloupe, maybe some kind of vitamin or something that my body needed. And I ate the cantaloupe, I guess, and went back to sleep. But I do think you have to listen to your body sometimes. So like if you do crave a lot of fat, maybe you're not getting enough fat. But like I said, it could be the opposite where you're already eating so much fat that now you're sort of addicted to it. So I would have to see exactly what you were eating but um, but do know that you might need to balance your nutrients in a slightly different way. Now, fat sources are really important. Healthy fats are important. Like peanut butter is a great fat to have. And the other week I did the macros podcast just a couple weeks ago, and I did give out a freebie on that one, um, a PDF cheat sheet on what all that healthy proteins are, healthy carbohydrates, and healthy fats. So if you didn't get that list, you want to download it, it's a freebie list, just go to shockthatbody.com forward slash macros, M-A-C-R-O-S, and that way you can see some other fat options. Maybe you need to try some other fats to get off some of the nut butters and, and just get different kinds of fats going as well. Next question, how do you know what your ideal weight should be, what your goal should be, Uh, Is there such a thing as a set point that individual bodies seem to settle at? 
I feel like it's easy to get in the trap of wanting to lose two to three more pounds or to get hung up on a number. Yes, so it's very easy to get hung up on a number. I think it's funny that we all have some number, right? It's like, I wanna be what I was in high school. I wanna be what I was before I was pregnant. I wanna weigh what I did on my wedding night. Like everybody has this number that they think they should be. And it's like 20 years later, and the bodies have changed, okay? So a lot happens to the body. <laughs> We're not in our 20s. Well, some of you might be in your 20s. Um, to all the youth out there, I am 46, and I can tell you right now that when I was in high school, I weighed 115 pounds, and now I weigh like 122, and I will never be 115 pounds again. <laughs> no matter what I could do, I could never get down to that. But what I'm trying to say is that we, we make up these numbers that maybe aren't relevant to our body and our hormones and everything that we do nowadays. So for one, you need to ask yourself, whatever weight you're trying to hit, is it a realistic weight? Who knows? Yes, there are charts. There are charts out there for like your height, body type, and healthy weight range. And so one thing I do like to do when, when someone says, I don't know what weight to be. So the first thing I do is I ask them, well, how tall are you and how much do you weigh and what's your body type? Meaning, are you sort of a small petite person? Are you a little, you know, bigger, what's quote unquote bigger bone? Like, you know what I'm saying, like a body type. And then I look, you can just Google. If you Google height body type chart, you know, height, body, weight chart, a million will come up. And I just like to see what the range is then for someone who is 5'5", five, five, say, and they're a small body type. I will look at the bottom number and say, well, the, the, the lowest you probably want to go is that number. No, it's not a set hard number. That's not the, the goal number. I'm just saying, if I see a client who's 5'5", five, five, and they're way below that number, they're probably too thin. They're probably not in that healthy range. And if they're way above a certain number, well, then maybe that shows there, there is some room for weight loss. So that's a good place to start. Um, and then trying to figure out why you're setting yourself to some particular number, meaning again, we're not going to weigh what we weighed in high school. Potentially we can weigh what we weighed before the babies were born because the body is amazing that way. Um, but be realistic about the number you're trying to hit. And then what I like to do is, you know, when I've been working with a client for a while and I ask them, well, are you at the point where you're, you know, you're ready to maintain? And they go, well, how do I know if I'm ready? You know, how do I know if I'm happy at this weight? And I say, well, if you were to put a bathing suit on right now, would you feel comfortable going out with your family and friends and like going to the beach? And, and I want them to be able to say, absolutely. You know, like, and you have to be clear on this because we are our toughest critics. So half the people are going to answer that no, and they're always going to answer no, no matter what. Even if they hit their lowest weight, they're going to tell me that they're not happy in that bikini and that they're embarrassed to go out. And that's just because you're, you're tough at critic, and, and it's a shame that we can't all appreciate our beautiful bodies more. They don't have to be perfect, okay? Side note. Um, but I think that you should be able to, to be in a bathing suit comfortably. It doesn't mean you have to be in the skinniest thong bikini, but like I have some people are like, I won't be in a family picture because I'm so ashamed of my weight, or I won't go to the beach with my family because I'm ashamed. If you are in fact overweight and I look at the, the chart and I go, yes, you have some weight to lose and you're unhappy and it's preventing you from being out with your family and doing these lovely things and taking pictures then you are obviously, we're not there yet. You're not at that goal weight that's gonna make you happy. 
A number is not going to make you happy. And if you're always trying to hit a number that's two to three pounds away, like if you're always like, God, if I could just be, I'm just throwing out a number, okay? If I could just be 125, you know, and you're literally 128 to 130 all the time. And you think being 125, I mean, that's the end all. It's not. You're going to turn 125 and then you're going to say, if I could be 123, I'd be so happy. Like it, it does never end. And that's why you have to let go of the number. Are you fit? Are you strong? Are you healthy? That is way more important. Can you put a bathing suit on and go to the beach and be okay with it? Like have some confidence, feel good in your body and be healthy. That is so much more important than being perfect and being skinny. Um, You really have to just sort of change your viewpoint on that ideal weight. If your doctor is happy, your blood works good, you have no illness, be happier. Don't try to just always be losing five pounds, all right? Because also, oh, here's another thing. If if people are always telling you, oh my gosh, you're too skinny. Have you ever, have you ever had that happen? Right now you're like, no. <laughs> um, after my divorce, I got too skinny. And, and sometimes that happens, like, right? Stress can either make you eat or I went the other way and got like really crazy into nutrition, but like really like, you know, I got really into it. And so I started losing too much weight and more than one person came up to me and said, you are too skinny right now. If that happens to you, trust them. They're not just saying that to be mean, like maybe you have lost too much weight. And I had, I had dropped a little too low and I needed to put some weight on. And if people are telling you that, instead of thinking they're haters, if more than one person is saying it, I think you you should think twice and, you know, email me if you want and let me check your weight to height ratio and I can tell you if I feel like you're in a healthy range or not or ask your doctor as well. Um, Because sometimes it's not about losing the weight, it's actually about putting on a little weight. And I have clients out there and they're listening to this show right now and they're going, yep, you always tell me I need to put on a few more pounds. Um, If you're under that number, I, I like you to be in a healthy range. All right, moving on. How come your veins get bigger when you start to lift and lose weight? Well, I looked this one up for you so I could get as much of a dialed in answer as possible. And they said this process known as filtration causes a swelling and hardening of the muscle that is noticed during exercise. As a result of this swelling, cutaneous veins are pushed toward the skin surface and they flatten to some extent and appear to bulge. Such veins are more visible in persons with less subcutaneous fat. So that kind of answers both the questions. So when you're working out, it sort of pumps you up and there's some swelling and it pushes the veins to the surface. Then also, if you lose weight, you have less subcutaneous fat and so the veins are more visible, right? Some people love the look and some people hate the look. Like I kind of like when a few veins pop out in my arms because <laughs> I'm a little crazy like that. But um, but that's all it is. And so like when I do a photo shoot, my photographer will sometimes be like, go down and like, you know, like give me some push-ups and, and we'll bring some barbells in and I'll, and I'll lift a little to get sort of that pump going. You probably heard that term before, you know, get your pump going. And I can make this one vein in my shoulder Maybe you've seen the picture, but I can make the vein pop out if I, if I do that. And so that's what it's 
that's what it's from. And obviously the skinner you are, the less subcutaneous fat you have and your veins are gonna be more at the surface and you're gonna see it. It's also a bit genetic. I feel like some people really have those body types and some people don't. Um, so there you go, there's your vein answer. Question number 10, after oh, the after workout protein, what are the best options? Well, I've definitely talked about protein before. I've also talked about recovery for your workout. So whomever asked this question, podcast episode number 54 was all about recovery from workouts. I talk a lot about the recovery. In general, you need about 20 grams of protein within 35 to 40 minutes of your workout. They say that is the best opportunity to sort of refuel the protein. You'll also get in some carbs with that generally. And you need to refuel your carbs too, but it's the 20 grams of protein to really help your muscles recover. Now, I love the Eagle Shake after my workout because I don't do protein powders, as most of you know. And if you want the recipe for the Eagle Shake, just go to earnthatbody.com, right on top, put in your email, and I will send you a full Eagle Shake recipe book with all my recipes of real food protein shakes. Now, this person also said, I know you don't do shakes, <laughs> but it's an easy after locker room workout protein source, you know. What can I do for that easy post-workout? I actually do sometimes make my Eagle Shake and then I put it on ice in an ice chest and I go do my workout and then it's like made and ready for me in my car. So it actually can be that easy locker room post-workout shake. You just have to prep a little, right? But if you don't have the time to make the Eagle Shake um, or get a protein shake of some sort, grab a protein bar. And I've done podcast episodes on protein bars too because not all protein bars are actually protein bars in my opinion. A lot of them are just high calorie candy bars. And if they don't really have like 15 to 20 grams of protein, I wouldn't even eat it. It's not worth the amount of calories that are in it. But a couple that I like, there's the Cliff Builder Bar that does have 20 grams of protein in it. So you know at least you're getting your 20 grams, right? after the gym. I also like the Perfect Bar. It generally has 17 to 20, depending on the flavor that you pick. The Perfect Bars actually have to go in the refrigerator, so you would have to have that on some kind of ice. Um, Hard-boiled eggs are also really great to grab a, you know, two or three eggs. That's something also you could put on ice and have ready for you after the gym. So great question. Number 11, if I don't count calories and macros, but eat super clean, can I still earn my body? I hate counting all of that, and it's the only thing that holds me back, so I don't do what I know I need to do. Okay, you do not have to count calories or macros to, le to lose weight and to earn that body. My clients who start the Earn That Body 10-week program, the first four weeks of that program are what I call the ramp it up pre-session. There is no calorie counting in that period, but we do step-by-step step changing to your nutrition. By that, I mean each day or every other day, I tell them one thing or two things that they need to add to their diet or remove from their diet, and it has nothing to do with calories or counting macros. I also have my ETB Talks program that is not calorie counting also. It's a four-week nutrition program that you do on your own, again, where you make these day-to-day -day changes of what to add and what to remove to make sure that you're eating balanced, healthy nutrition. Now, in the ETB Talks program, I've had people lose 14 pounds in those four weeks, 
In the ramp it up pre-session, I've had clients lose anywhere from four to eight pounds. Again, it's really dependent on how healthy did they already eat before. Um, like if they were super unhealthy and then they do my ETB tox, they're probably the ones losing the 14 pounds. If you already ate fairly healthy and then you just sort of make some of these healthy changes, I mean, you might not lose that much. And that's the point that we would have to see, well, how many calories are you taking in and, and what are your macros? I mean, the macros, you don't even have to worry about at first because just tracking online your calories is gonna tell us where your macros are um, because the, the the phone apps these days, they do it all for you. But if you're just looking, it's like you know you need to lose weight, but that's not the way you wanna do it, it doesn't have to be. Because like I said, I have these two other programs that are very successful and they don't count calories at all. And another thing is, if you do count calories, the goal is to stop counting as quickly as we can. So I have phase one earn that body where we count calories. Phase two earn that body, I actually call it keep that body, but I'm thinking of just calling it phase two soon. Um, we continue to lose weight. We continue to make the habits of calorie counting just so that you can see how exactly you can um, make sure that you're understanding how much protein, how much fat. But the third phase is weaning you off calorie counting and helping you maintain without it. So the goal is to never be counting calories forever. I do not count calories and it's not something I want everyone to always do forever. All right, last question. How do you manage your beautiful locks? My locks of hair. Do you wash your hair every day after a workout? Well, that's very sweet, whoever said that. I have a lot of hair. <laughs> if anybody knows me, um, you've seen the pictures, and if you have met me in real life, I have a lot of hair. I never lost hair ever, meaning when I was pregnant, I never lost hair. When I had the baby, when I breastfed, I never lost hair. All the times that people tell me they lost hair, I probably got more. Um, for whatever reason, this is my gift. <laughs> hair and all my teeth. I don't, I have all my wisdom teeth. So I have very curly, coarse hair. You cannot wash that kind of hair every day. I only wash my hair every day if I was swimming. So if I ever I go swimming, like when I'm training for triathlons, I do wash my hair right after I get out of the pool because the chlorine only makes my hair more dry and coarse. I have to be very careful with the chlorine. I can go, are you ready? Don't gross out, but again, my hair is so thick. I can go like three to five days and not wash my hair and you would never know. Like it doesn't get oily, it doesn't get greasy. I have that much hair. And again, because I cannot, I can't wash my hair that often with shampoo because it would dry it out too much. So I can go three to five days and if I straighten it, you better believe I go five days without <laughs> washing it because I want my straight hair because it's so much easier to manage than the curly frizz. Uh, but thank you very much and that is the answer to my, oh and a lot of product. And when I say a lot of product, like sometimes when I go to a new hairdresser and they put like this little dime of like a uh, hair gel on their hand and I'm like, is that for like my like front part of my hair? Because that little dime ain't going to do nothing to this head of hair. Um, I use a lot of product to hold it down and confine the frizz. There you have it. That's Ask Me Anything. <laughs> Great questions today. Again, if you have a question that you would like me to answer, 
can be about health, fitness, nutrition, or my hair, my locks, uh, whatever it might be, always send me an email, Kim at EarnThatBody.com. Like I have said before, I am a one-woman show. I will get your email and I will respond to your email. And just so you know, if I ever don't respond, I never got it. Sometimes things do go to spam, but I try to check my spam folder also. And that's all we've got for Ask Me Anything. If you have questions about any of my programs coming up, this is that time of year. People want to start getting, they're thinking about spring break. They want to get fit. They want to feel good in their bikini because I want all of you to feel good and confident. Just reach out to me, Kim at EarnThatBody.com and let me find you which program is best for you. That's all for today. Earn That Body Podcast, always bringing you fitness, health, and nutrition information you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. 